thrilling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Buenos dias. Muchas enchiladas, everybody. Welcome back to the Patrick Madrid Show, and thank you for listening. Thank you for telling your friends about the program. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As one Gomer Pyle used to say, my number is 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Email patrick at relevantradio.com. I have a note here from Terry. And Terry's referring to a call that came in from Jessica um, day before yesterday. On Taco Tuesday, a lady named Jessica phoned your program asking advice on finding a good man to date and marry. You recommended searching dating apps and sites, which I think is unsafe. Just wanted to let you know that I'm right here. I would love to be able to contact her and make a connection because I am in the same situation as a single man. I get it, Terry. I totally do. And I, I really wish that there was some way. There isn't, because Relevant Radio is in the radio business, the media business. We're not in the dating business. But there are good groups that are, and they're not unsafe. There are good um, Catholic websites or Catholic apps, etc., where men and women can meet each other. And you have to be, you know, you have to be discriminating in a good way. And, and I don't know if you've tried those apps or not, but uh, I do know some people who have now wonderful, happy marriages, and they were two different people looking for each other and didn't know how to meet, and they met on one of those apps. So I don't know if Jessica's listening. Jessica, I hope you are. Look, look, see, Terry, Exhibit A. Now, how do we get the two of you together? That's not something I can do, regrettably. Um, if I had tons of spare time, Maybe I would set up like a, like I think I called it Uncle Patrick's introduction service for good Catholic young men and women. Not necessarily young, but I don't think I need to reinvent the wheel. So my heart goes out to you, Terry. It really does. My heart goes out to you, Jessica. It really does. My advice would be to persist in prayer and asking God to bring that person into your life and give you the awareness to recognize him or her when the time comes. I would also sincerely encourage you to consider one of these marriage apps, the wedding or the, the, the dating apps, but, but be discriminating. In other words, choose a Catholic app that has a good reputation. Some of them will actually give you statistics over the course of X number of years. We've had this many marriages. I saw something just um, yesterday, I think it was, about Christendom College, not about dating. Although many happy marriages have come from alums of Christendom College there in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley in Front Royal, Virginia. Go visit sometime if you're ever in that area. If you're ever near D.C., go visit Christendom College. But um, there was a statistic that I saw, I believe it was yesterday, that of the alums, the graduates of Christendom College, they have in excess of 100 Catholic priests who found their vocations either while at Christendom College or shortly thereafter, and are now serving the church as priests of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a great example. And some 
Christendom.edu, by the way, is their website if you want to look into it. Um, and I recommend that you look into it. It's a great school. But I, getting back to the marriage issue, there are some of these Catholic dating websites that have statistics similar to that, where they can say that over X number of years, we've had this many happy, successful marriages between Catholic men and women. So do a little digging, and you'll find them. I would also suggest that depending upon your circumstances, I mean, if you're an airline pilot, it would be different, I guess, but if you set the parameters that you you only want to find somebody within X number of miles, 100 miles, 500 miles, one mile, depending on where you live, I guess. A true story. I know a couple. Now, this lady is a dear friend of Nancy's and mine, and we've known her for many years, and she's, she's younger than us. Not that much younger, but she's younger than us. And uh, she had a wonderful, happy marriage. Um, she and her husband would hang out with Nancy and me from time to time, and we would see each other at, ch at church on Sunday, and they had a big family and such. Well, he passed away of brain cancer. And as you can imagine, it was a terrible ordeal for everybody concerned. Him, of course, most of all, but now she's left as a widow and a young widow. So she's raising her kids. She still has kids in grammar school. She's holding things together. And after some years go by, she decides that she would try this out. So she tried a dating website, a Catholic dating website. <clears throat> and she didn't really find much of anything that was of interest to her in terms of people. And she got lots of inquiries and things, but for one reason or another, it just wasn't a good fit. And it just wasn't something she, I think she just despaired of it and thought, well, I'm not going to do this anymore. And she canceled her membership. So what happened was, as far as she was concerned, she was done with it. She wasn't going to go back on there and check it anymore because she canceled. Well, a guy, good Catholic guy who had never been married, so he didn't have any, you know, sex first marriage baggage or anything like that. He had never been married, but a good, faithful Catholic man who also wanted to get married, but never found the right woman. And he was, you know, the same age as this lady I'm talking about, maybe a little bit older, maybe a year or so, not much. Well, he happens to see her profile, and this is after she canceled. He sees her profile and he notices, oh, today's her birthday. So what does he do? He just sends a gracious little birthday greeting. Hello, happy birthday. I saw it's your birthday, et cetera, et cetera, something minimal. Somehow, even though she had canceled her subscription to this dating website, that random email got through to her and she read it and she thought, well, how can this be? Because I, I canceled that service, so why am I even getting this? Well, I guess I'll take a look. So she clicks on the link. She she looks in the website. She sees this guy. Huh, he looks interesting. And she starts reading his profile. And then they start communicating. And then they start, you know, visiting and seeing each other. And then they got married. And they're happily, blissfully married. They found each other. I have to think that that's more than a mere coincidence. I, I have to think that's more than just, well, what a weird glitch. His email got through after she canceled her member. I, I suspect that God's hand was involved in this in his providence, and he wanted to bring the two of them together. So I offer you that as a little ray of sunshine, as a, as a, a cause for hope, that even if it may seem bleak and 
you're not successful in finding the person, keep asking the Lord. Keep asking him. If you want to go biblical, let's go biblical. Think about um, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who didn't have any children. And they wanted children. And you can imagine, if you're in that situation yourself, the lifelong anguish that they felt because they were a happily married, holy couple. They loved God. They were, you know, doing everything that the Lord asks them to do, praying and giving alms and loving God and all that. And they didn't have any children. And that was in a culture, by the way, that saw childlessness or barrenness as a kind of punishment from God. It's not. But there there was a, a sense in which if you didn't have children, there was something wrong in your life and God was punishing you for it. So in any case, Elizabeth and Zechariah, in their old age, now we're not told exactly how old, but if you want to throw a dart, you could say 70, 75, 80, 85, I don't know. But in their old age, they were old people well past the time of being able to have children. And what happened? God blessed them with a miracle after all those years of patience and praying and probably a little bit of not sinful despair. Well, I guess this is never going to happen. Post-menopause, I guess we're not having any children. And then in the twilight of their lives, God blesses them with a child, St. John the Baptist. Abraham and Sarah, same example. No children, no children, no children, no children. What happens? God blesses them with a child. And they had even gone to the extreme of, as you know from the story in Genesis, that Sarah said to Abraham, listen, we need to have some kids, some sons, so my my maidservant, Hagar, she can uh, have a baby for you, and we'll, and we'll count that child as our son when the time comes. So they even went to that extreme, and that, of course, is a whole other story, a whole other kettle of fish between you know, the division between Hagar and Ishmael, her son with Abraham. And then when Isaac shows up, it's like, hey, he's the real son. That's a separate story. But what did God do? In their old age, God blessed Abraham and Sarah with children. So I offer you that biblical motif as another reminder to be hopeful, to be patient, to trust in the Lord. It may take a long time, but just keep trusting and asking. And lastly, go where those people are. So, Terry, you're looking for a lovely Catholic young woman or woman of whatever age. I have, I have no idea how old you are. Go where they are. Go to the uh, local Catholic professional, young Catholic professionals organization. Most cities have them now. I was a speaker at one of these events maybe, I don't know, three years ago, four years ago. And there were something like 200 20-somethings, 30-somethings, and probably a few 40-somethings that were there well-dressed, well-coiffed Catholic young men and women who were there. Yeah, they were there to hear me speak, but I don't think that's the real reason they were there. Cyrus, can I get an amen? I'm pretty (laughs) sure they didn't show up just to hear me speak. They had another ulterior motive for attending that meeting. Can you guess what it might be? Mm, I don't know. Yeah. Have some more coffee. It'll come to you. They wanted to see each other. They wanted to find, you know, who else is here and maybe make some connections. So that's one example, young Catholic business professionals. They have meetings all around the country. Check it out. Um, Go to, if there's a young adult group, and I know that even the phrase young adult group, that might even be a bit off-putting for some people who might say, well, I don't technically fit in that category, and I don't want to be somebody who's considered like, quote-unquote, old. 
and I'm going to a place where there's a bunch of 20-something women. I don't want that kind of a vibe. I understand. I understand. Well, there are other groups that are not, quote-unquote, young adult groups. Some are that way. Go there. Go. Uh, somebody gave me some advice the other day, Cyrus, when I was talking about this not that long ago. That, um, And I don't know if this is true, but evening masses, like maybe at the Newman Center on campus, tend to draw a certain single crowd and maybe by going to mass at a place like that you might meet somebody maybe she's a a that wonderful can't be young why catholic you are going to mass though what's that or, now that can't be why you're going to mass is to meet no. somebody no i mean obviously you go to mass to worship god in spirit and in truth right that's your number one thing but it's a nice side benefit if by going to mass and worshiping god you're surrounded by people, any one of whom might be potentially a husband or a wife, right? That is you can get nice, behind that, can't you? That's a nice bonus. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just it's like you, Cyrus. You're at the bowling alley every Tuesday night to perfect <laughs> your game. And I don't know if you've achieved that yet, but, you know, there, there are nice other hey, couples I broke for you and Melody to time. hang out with. I broke 100 last Tuesday, so I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. <laughs> I had the flukiest bowling game and this is, I was probably about 18, and I went to the bowling alley with some friends, and I don't know what happened, but every single roll of the ball was a strike, every single one. And I, I hit something like 260 or something insane. And it was completely a fluke. I don't know what happened. Right. No, it's true. <laughs> it is true. They gave me like a like a prize. I got like $50 for the high score of the day or whatever. Seriously. But I could never replicate it. Gutter balls left and right after that. And I, I probably, you know, went, I sank down to like 115, 120, 110. That's, that's my range right there. So you were yeah. in the zone. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but it was, and people couldn't believe it. It's like, you're not a good bowler. How are you doing this? I have no idea. So anyway, I left a popcorn trail. Go where the people are. And, um, and, and give a second thought maybe to the dating service. There's some good Catholic ones out there, some, some good success stories, and give it a try. All right. With that, we shall proceed. 888-914-9149. We'll go to Charlotte, first of all, in Minneapolis. Good morning, Charlotte. Hi, good morning. Thank you. Um, would you please boil it down to what exactly is a blessing? I'm a, I'm a Protestant. And um, mm -hmm. I don't know if that really matters, but um, so Abraham blessed Isaac, and mm -hmm. um, and then they had the recent um, Vatican where it's okay to bless a gay couple, but not the wedding. Um, mm -hmm. I think one time you mentioned that if if a priest or a bishop is walking down the street, and if a Protestant, I mean, excuse me, a prostitute <laughs> asks mm -hmm. for a blessing, it's okay. You know, he can give. So, will you please? Just boil sure. it down to what exactly is a blessing. Yes, I will do that. So, and we'll come back to the Vatican thing about the gay couples in a minute. Thank you. So, simply put, a blessing is, in the case of, let's say, a priest, invoking God's gifts of grace and, and prosperity, health, um, happiness, in encouragement, whatever the things are that the given person needs, it's a way of invoking those good gifts from God onto that person. So simply put, that's what it is. 
So I'll give you an example of a blessing. Um, when, when Jesus sends forth his disciples to cast out demons, to anoint people who are sick with oil, to preach the good news and those kinds of things, among them would be their, their action of blessing the people. And you can bless people in different ways. I think what you're referring to is a kind of the ritual formula of blessing somebody like a priest would do. And that's what it amounts to. When Jesus sent them forth, it's for them to invoke the power of God, the grace of God, onto the people that they blessed. So, as to your question about the priest on the street, sure, let's say that some prostitute comes up to him, and there's a moment, you know, she's living a sinful life, and she's probably got who knows what kinds of problems going on in her life, and maybe she's afraid, and she's maybe despairing, and she sees in the priest a reminder of Jesus. She sees in the priest a reminder that God still loves her. And so if she asks for a blessing, and the priest rightfully gives her a blessing on the spot there, it's his way of saying, may God supply you with all the things that you need, conversion, peace, repentance, whatever those things are, good health, that's what the blessing is doing. It's invoking those things, and God alone knows what the things are that the person needs. So I'll pause okay, there. Okay. Does that make sense to you, what, what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay. Thank you. Oh, you're most welcome. So in the Catholic Church, there are certain formal blessings, and the most common of which is when the priest says, and I bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Typically, he would motion the sign of the cross with his right hand. And that would be a way of invoking the power of Christ's crucifixion, the power of his death on the cross on the, on the people, but also just invoking the blessings of the Blessed Trinity on the people. That's a very common form of a, a ritual blessing. And there are others. So if a baby is to be, uh, when a baby is baptized, there are certain preliminary blessings that the priest will give to the child before the, ba- the biggest blessing of all, which is baptism. Uh, parents can bless their children. Um, there are many instances in Mass when we receive blessings that are part of the biggest blessing of all, which is God's grace through the Mass. So you'll also see those ritualized, formal, and, and consistently the same wording kind of blessings, but they, they don't have to be that. It can be something spontaneous and from the heart. So as far as the Vatican Declaration on on blessing same-sex couples, it is it has caused quite a bit of headaches for a lot of people, and so much so that the dicastery, that's the technical term for the department, you might say, in the Vatican, that's in charge of doctrine, so much so, so many headaches that they've had to kind of issue a clarification, a five- or six-page clarification, here's what this means, And the difficulty here is that although that document does give the actual biblical Catholic teaching about marriage, one man, one woman, we can't give any appearance of, you know, suggesting that two men are are having their union blessed. The church can't do that. So the document does go out of its way to stipulate those things. But then it has the net effect of sort of undoing all of that precision by saying that priests can 
and even should give blessings to couples in irregular situations and same-sex couples. That's the problem. It's the the wording, and 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 this the specificity by saying specifically same-sex couples. Well, what makes a couple a couple? Well, they're they're in some way romantically interested in each other. That's the common meaning of the word couple. And mm-hmm. so that's where a great deal of confusion has arisen. And for example, the Catholic Bishops' Conferences of Africa, maybe not every single last one of them, every single last country, but the, a great bulk of them, in big countries too, like Nigeria, for example, they've come out and said, well, this is going to be too confusing and people are not going to understand what this means, so we're just not going to do this at all. No blessings for same-sex couples, because it gives the appearance that the church is blessing what appears to be a relationship that is deeply sinful. And there are comebacks and rejoinders and, you know, counter-arguments that are raised, um, none of which really help matters, because the average person who sees that will not have read that document. I bet you 99% of the people listening to our conversation right now have never read the document. They've heard about it, but they're busy. They haven't had time to sit down and read it. So if you were to see a priest blessing two men, what's the natural assumption that you'd make if you saw that? You'd think that they're gay, and that's a problem. So it's confusing, and it causes difficulties. And so even though it's true that a priest can bless anybody, like a prostitute, Anybody. He goes into an insane asylum, and somebody who's in there for mass murder, he can bless that person. The person needs the blessing, and he's not blessing the activities of that person. But in this case, it gives that impression, and that's where the problem lies. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. Oh, yeah, it does. It does. I'll definitely have to um, listen to it again tonight. To okay. Chew on it. I didn't mean to over-explain, I think I wanted to give you a no, good answer. No, no. No, you're you're good. You're good. I appreciate that. Um, and I, I I'm pretty sure I understand it. But like I said, I'll listen again tonight. Um, and uh, I, it it did answer my question. I'm glad. I, I understand now. Thank you. I'm glad, Charlie. Well, I'm glad you're listening too. Please do keep listening and call anytime. I'll be right back. This hour is supported by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Join the nation's largest Catholic-oriented credit union and receive $200 when you add a direct deposit. Learn more at NotreDameFCU.com slash join. That's NotreDameFCU.com slash join. to the conversation. Call now, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Patrick Madrid is on now. Relevant Radio. Mm. Taking me back to the early 70s. The reeling in the years. You know, now, <laughs> later in life, I, I understand this song differently than I did when I was 14 or whatever I was when it first came out. Good song, though. Um, I want to acknowledge, and I may be able to read a few of these, but I've just got an influx, a bunch of people uh, writing into me. 
patrick at relevantradio.com about places to go for dating, Catholic dating sites. So I hear you, and I appreciate that, and I will read, time permitting, a couple of those. First, though, let's go to Tom in Philadelphia. Now, we're going to do this call a little differently just because of background noise and and issues like that. Um, it would be difficult for people out there in Radioland to maybe hear as clearly as we might like. So Tom has, has said it's okay for me to just simply... He's listening. He's on. He's online right now. He's here with us. I mean, you know, through the magic of technology. But I'm going to share his question, and then I'm going to respond to it. And Tom in Philadelphia, thank you for calling in, and he's going to listen to the answer. So his question is: I am living at a healthcare facility with mass once a month. Here, the priest needs to wear gloves for Holy Communion, and he changes his gloves after each person receives communion. Is this okay? The answer is yes, it is okay. It's not ideal, but it is okay. And given the circumstances, you didn't mention, Tom, whether or not maybe some of the people in this health facility um, have maybe an illness that they could transmit to somebody else, or maybe it's not that. Maybe they're, you know, somebody who has a compromised immune system, for example, and even the slightest transmission of a germ could be dangerous. So situations like that, like the one you're describing, uh, make it, even though it's not ideal, it's necessary. And the church understands that. So yeah, to answer that question, it can be done. The priest is not doing anything wrong. If anything, I would say he's looking out for your health. And, And so that's my answer to that question. Now, I do want to just offer a word of encouragement that if you're only getting mass there once a month, then I would request that maybe another priest, if there are other priests in the area, who could rotate. So if let's say that this priest is coming to the healthcare facility that you're in only once a month because of his duties, he doesn't have the opportunity to come more frequently, request that other priests in the area, including maybe retired priests who have more time, they're helping out at a parish, they're in a position where they can pick up something like this and just say, could could you arrange for some priest to come every Sunday so we could at least have Mass every Sunday? And I wouldn't be surprised if you got a, a yes answer. You know, maybe um, start with the, that priest who's who's coming to visit you and celebrate Mass. Maybe write to the bishop. And, and I don't mean a complaint letter. That's not what I'm referring to. But just, dear bishop, hope you're doing well. And we could really use more masses here. We only get mass once a month. Could you talk to the good priests at such and such a parish or see if we could get more priests that could come and rotate and celebrate mass for us? And any any good bishop who loves his people and your bishop loves you uh, will want to try to help you if you can. And, and generally these things can be sorted out. So that would be my hope for you, Tom, that you'd be able to receive our Lord in the Holy Eucharist, and be present at Mass every Sunday. And and you have an excuse if you can't be at Mass every Sunday. It's not your fault. You're not committing a sin, and I'm sure you know that. It's different from somebody who says, eh, I don't feel like going to Mass this Sunday. Eh, I think I'm going to sleep in. I was up late last night drinking wine. Eh, I'm going to sleep in this morning instead of going to Mass. So that would be a sin, but you're not in that situation because you, you can't control how often the priest comes to see you. So I would just say request it. And who knows, maybe the answer will be, oh, yeah, sure. Why didn't we think of that sooner? 
I hope that's helpful, and I appreciate your call, Tom. Thank you. 888-914-9149. Please note that that number is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Oh, also, one other reminder, with Lent right around the corner, you can make your Lenten journey with your parish this year with Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass, sponsored in part by the National Center for Padre Pio. These are free daily videos. They're bite-sized explorations of the prayers and postures at Mass that will help you transform your perspective and re-energize you and your parish community. So you can pray fast and serve these 40 days of Lent with 40 lessons in these weekly Eucharistic Encounter videos. All you have to do is go to relevantradio.com slash Lent. Sign up there. It's free. It goes to your email box, relevantradio.com slash Lent. No obligation. No salesman will call. Now, I had an email here, a rather, I would say, contentious email. And this is from a lady named Mary. And I'm just going to read it to you as she wrote it, and as I imagine her reading it, if she were reading it to us. She's referring to yesterday. Today, you discussed the two ways to make a Roman Catholic confession. By the way, that's the giveaway right there, Mary. Two ways to make a Roman Catholic confession. Okay, I immediately understood where you're coming from. One way, Mary says, is praying and talking directly to God. The other way is telling one's sins to a holy, all-knowing, celibate priest. You talked about five minutes on this subject. You spent about 30 seconds talking about the God-ordered procedure, and by that she's referring to going... (laughs) (laughs) going to God directly. Well, you left out the part about the God-ordered procedure of going to a priest, Mary, and I spent time on that because that's in John chapter 20. I exegeted that passage, and I demonstrated that the God-breathed, God-ordered procedure is for the apostles who received the special power to forgive sins, to hear confessions and forgive sins. But in any case, so you spent about 30 seconds talking about the God order procedure and four and a half minutes talking about the other procedure you love to talk about. Next time, give both procedures equal time treatment, whether Father Rocky likes it or not. By the way, Cyrus, get out the stopwatch next time I talk about <laughs> this. Okay? I was just looking for tick, 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 exactly tick, what tick, I was tick. looking for. Because Mary needs, she wants, you know, she wants uh, equal time. Um, P.S. Does Father Rocky have a first and last name? Is Father Rocky a former boxer? That's a good question. The answer is no, he's not a former boxer. His nose doesn't look like it's ever been broken. And that's good. Uh, He does have a first and last name. His first name is Francis, and his last name is Hoffman, H-O-F-F-M-A-N, Francis Hoffman. And when I first heard of Father Rocky before I ever met him, I had a similar reaction. I thought, what a what an interesting name. What an interesting nickname. Is that his name? No. There we go. You're not giving enough time on the previous answer, and you're giving more time to this answer? That's true. Uh, so That's true. Just, just so you know. Just so we know. Okay. Well, this is for you, Mary. We're going to keep time. We're going to keep score. Um, so, yeah, his first name is Francis. Last name is Hoffman. But when he was a kid, for some reason, I don't remember anymore. His brothers and sisters or his dad or somebody started calling him Rocky. And this is before the movie <laughs> ever came out. And it just stuck. So since the time he was a kid, he was known as Rocky. And when he became a priest, he was known as Father Rocky. So there's the long and short of that. And then she has a PPS. Um, you're not keeping time, Cyrus. What's going on? 
Um, why do you, Patrick, use at times the spoken phrases of mortal sin and venial sin? Jesus Christ, Emmanuel of Nazareth, the Son of Man, never originated or used those two dog whistle phrases. Who is the first Christian bureaucrat to use and originate those two dog whistles? I think Mary was having a bad day when she wrote this. I don't think she was in a very happy mood. Okay, so let's do that. Well, Mary, I don't think it's really a good idea to call these terms dog whistles because, first of all, the phrase mortal sin is found in 1 John chapter 5. So here we're talking about the Holy Bible. And I don't think it's a good idea to refer to the inspired Word of God in which the Holy Spirit inspired St. John to use the phrase mortal sin. I don't think that's a good idea. So, anyway, where does that say that? Well, start in verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing what is not a mortal sin, he will ask and God will give him life for those whose sin is not mortal. There is sin that which is mortal. I do not say that one is to pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin which is not mortal. So, translated literally from the Greek, the Bible phrase is mortal sin not a dog whistle. I mean, unless you call dog, unless you call um, God the Holy Spirit giving us a dog whistle, but I don't. I'm a Catholic. I believe in the Holy Bible. So anyway, that's where that term comes from. And so the corollary, venial, if you look it up in a dictionary, you'll see that the word venial means minor. It means something that's not grave, or as the Bible says here in 1 John chapter 5, there is, as it says, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin which is not mortal. It's not deadly. It doesn't kill the life of grace in your soul. That's what this phrase means. Mortal sin kills the life of grace in the soul. That's what mortal means. Did you receive a mortal wound in combat? That means you died of that wound. So the use of the word venial, even though, as you point out, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel of Nazareth, the Son of Man, he didn't originate those terms, but under the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, whom he sent to guide his church into all truth, the phrase mortal sin arises in Scripture. So venial sin is just identifying, using a term to identify that kind of sin that is not mortal. Verse 17 and verse 18. What do you call it? Well, in the Catholic Church, a, an easy-peasy word to use is venial because that's what it means. Minor. If you have a better word, that's great. You can use that word. But this is just simply reading and understanding the Holy Bible. And I think I've made my point. Cyrus, I don't hear the timer going. I don't hear that timer. We have to give an account of how many seconds I spent talking about each of these topics. But I, I learned want Mary last to be week, unhappy. I learned last week we're not keeping score. We just smile. Oh, that's right. The team that smiles the most wins. That's right. Okay. Why well, win? Yay. Yay. I'll be right back. Today, we'd like to thank Tom, who's listening in Illinois, for donating his 1978 Slick Craft Boat. Whoa. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. 
Welcome back to the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Have a question? Give Patrick a call. 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Patrick Madrid on Relevant Radio. Good music choices, Cyrus. Thanks, Good job, sir. man. Yep. This is the soundtrack to my senior year of high school. Boston makes it easy. Oh, gosh. You young people, I'm telling you, if you're not familiar with this classic music, you should check it out. Taylor Swift, please. <laughs> please. Uh, okay. Um, here's a note that comes in from Nikki, and she's listening in, uh, in Wisconsin on the Relevant Radio app. She says, I lead a Bible study for teen girls, and this week our topic is modesty. I write the lessons myself, and of course, on such an important topic, I'm struggling with content, spiritual warfare. Any tips on how to talk about modesty and what the Bible and, and the catechism say about the topic would be most helpful. She says, God bless you, Cyrus, Relevant Radio, and all the good work you're doing to help you help to form my husband, our two homeschooling children, and me on a daily basis on the beauty of the Catholic faith. I'll be praying for you. That's so nice of you, Nikki, and I greatly appreciate it. We all do. But I'm going to do this, if you don't mind. Uh, teenage girls, modesty, clothing options, things like that. I would rather defer to a different host here at Relevant Radio because I think that she would be super dialed into this topic, uh, Timory. She's on every afternoon. What What is the um, the central time slot for Timory's show, Cyrus? Is it that would be seven four? seven central oh, seven central? Okay. So yeah, Timory, and it's called Trending with Timory. She's she's young herself, and she's quite knowledgeable on these topics. I'm sure she has quite a bit of information and recommendations for you. So if you don't mind, what I'm going to do is I'll forward this to Timory. And ask her if she wouldn't do you a favor and maybe bring this up on her program. And you can always call in 888-914-9149 if you want to call and talk to Timory. But uh, 7 p.m. Central, Trending with Timory, excellent show. And I think she will give you a much more well-rounded, robust, comprehensive answer to this question. Sound good? Well, thank you, Nikki. Um, and, and at the next break, I'll send it I just to realized I gave the Eastern time for that. So it's oh. 6 p.m. Central. I'm sorry. 6 p.m. Oh. Central for trending. Okay. Well, there we go. So I am just pressing send and boom, there it goes. So Timory will have it momentarily. And uh, thank you again, Nikki. Appreciate all that. We'll go to uh, Dallas now and talk to Bruce. Good morning, Bruce. Patrick, good morning. Uh, just a quick clarification for you on okay. this pressing question about Father Rocky's nickname, Rocky, and the yeah. origin of it. I heard and, the story uh, once, and I just don't remember it. Yeah, so when he was born, uh, his uh, mother uh, said, I really want to name our son Francis. He's the last of a, a big uh, cadre of uh, Hoffman children, and uh, his dad really wanted to name him Peter. But his dad, being a good husband, said, okay, we'll name him Francis. And after that, he... Uh, um, his dad said, I'm going to call him Rocky back to his <laughs> wish to uh, name him Peter. So the, the Rocky nickname stuck being the baby of this big family. Uh, oh, I get it. In other words, he got Peter in there one yeah. way or the other through Rocky. Indeed. Indeed. Ah. So that is, that, that's the uh, the origin of his nickname. 
And all through college, I, I mean, I, when I met him in college, Patrick, he was uh, he was Rocky. Apparently, he was Rocky from childhood, right? That's how his brothers and sisters yep. called him. Oh yeah, yeah, yep, mm-hmm. yep. No, he's he's known as Rocky. He's always been known as Rocky. And I was like, well, "What? Your cool. name's Francis?" Yeah. So, <laughs> and as you said, it was before it was before the movie. So, you know, you expect to see this big burly guy named Rocky. <laughs> but yeah, um, anyhow, he's, he doesn't look like there that. You have so let me ask you a question, Bruce. Do you like surfing? Sure. You ever been surfing? Patrick, I'd love to take you out there. You know that. Uh, yes, I do. I'm passionate about surfing. In fact, uh, I'm I due to, to, to be out there on the West Coast next week with my uh, daughter, her husband, and uh, one of our new grandbabies. So looking forward to that. Grandbaby's not going to surf, but my son-in-law will. <laughs> That's right. Well, I, you and I have had a number of fun conversations about that, and I appreciate that. Thanks for that invite, too, Bruce. I plan to take you up on it one of these days. Looking and thanks for the call. Thank you. Yeah, so there's the background, Cyrus. Now we all know the genesis of that name, and name for Father Rocky. And knowing is half the battle. The more you know. <laughs> You're not sure where to go with that? I don't know where to I'm go I'm not either. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you. Let's go to Cheryl by email, listening on the Relevant Radio app. She says, I've heard a lot of discussions about cremation and the topic of burial. My mother died years ago and wished to be cremated. At the time, none of my siblings or myself were practicing Catholics or had any knowledge of the Church's teachings on this subject. We followed her wishes, and now, to our regret, we spread some of her ashes at the ocean from a beach that she loved. Some of us kept little amounts of her ashes. I know that would be that it would be best to collect what is remaining together. My question is, would it be acceptable to eventually put her remains when one of us is eventually passes away, um, and have the remains buried in a casket. I listened to your show on the app faithfully, and I learned so much, so thank you. Well, thank you, Cheryl, and God bless you, too. Yeah, so for those listening who may not be familiar, what Cheryl is alluding to here is that the Catholic Church strongly requests, I was going to say recommends, it does recommend it, but it's even more emphatic than just a recommendation. It strongly requests that the body should be buried in the ground. That's the first option, the best option as far as the church is concerned. Now, yes, the church does nowadays permit cremation. It didn't used to. It used to forbid cremation for Catholics. And one of the reasons is that there were times and places in which people thought that if they cremated bodies, that there's no way that God could resurrect those bodies on the last day. And that, of course, is ridiculous, because God brought the whole universe into existence out of nothing. He doesn't need pre-existent material. He speaks things into being. So for him, to cremate a body is irrelevant. It's superfluous. It doesn't matter one way or the other. And there were times and places when people would promote cremation as a way to sort of stick a thumb in the eye of the Catholic Church and its biblical doctrine of the general resurrection of the body. So for that being one of the reasons why the Church said, don't cremate, now the Church has relaxed that stricture and now permits it, but I don't think I would say grudgingly, but the Catholic Church permits it reluctantly. That might be a better way to put it. In other words, the idea of destroying the body, the temple of the Holy Spirit of somebody who's baptized, to destroy it, with fire is abhorrent. 
And when you read in Scripture about that issue of, of being burned up in fire, it's always a bad thing. It's always negative. It's always referring to hell when the body is destroyed, or at least when we, that idea is brought forth. So that too may be part of the aversion to it. So just FYI, the church says that you are to, if at all possible, to be buried and turned in the ground. If that's not possible for maybe an economical reason, maybe time of plague, maybe there's just no way to bury a body, the church does permit cremation. So please understand that. But what the church says is that you're not to scatter the ashes. You're not to keep them in an urn on the grand piano in your living room. You're not to divide them up among yourselves or make jewelry out of them or some of the other things that some people will do. And the reason is because the remains of the body deserve a respectful and dignified resting place. And part of that extends also to the ability for people to come to a grave or a mausoleum or a columbarium and be able to pay their respects and pray for the repose of the soul of the person who died. Not that you couldn't do that if there's no body there, but when you have a body buried in a place or you know in an, in an urn in a place where you can go, that is much more powerful and helpful for we who are in this life to be able to focus our thoughts and pay our respects and pray for the souls of those who have died. So it's for us, for our benefit. It doesn't affect the eternal disposition of the person who has gone on into eternity, whether the body goes into a grave or scattered. It doesn't affect that person's eternal destiny at, at all. It's for us. So back to the email, uh, this is what the church is saying, is that you should do the things that I just mentioned and not keep bits of, of the ashes in different places or scatter them, etc. So that's a background way of explaining an answer to your question, which is, yes, if you wanted to have the remains of your mother or father, the person who passed away, in an urn to be interred with the person who is going to be buried next, whoever that person would be, that could be permitted, sure. So you would just make arrangements with the Catholic cemetery uh, who would be handling these matters. But I hope that answers your question. And uh, for a lot of people, this is something, even though it's it's not new to me, I've talked about this a billion times, it is new for many people. And so they haven't um, they haven't really thought about that. And some people say, well, I never knew that. Well, that's why, that's why we're here. 888-914-9149. We still have a little time. Um, this is a note that comes in from Bob listening in New, in New Jersey. He says, with regard to the question of cohabitation, my parents have passed away. My brother and I uh, were going to buy our parents' house from our siblings. My brother's divorced. He's not practicing the faith. Conflicts may come where he may not only move an unmarried woman in with us, he may also allow his son and daughter to do the same, presumably with their unmarried partners, boyfriends, girlfriends. If he is a half-owner, I can't stop him. Knowing this possibility, is it still okay for me to pursue co-ownership with him? I'm looking for your guidance. This is a very interesting question, Bob. My thought would be, and since you only just sent me this note a couple of days ago, it sounds like you probably haven't signed any documents yet. My thought would be, number one, talk to him and say, if we're going to do this together, if we're going to pool our, our resources and buy this house together, 
one stipulation that I have is that I don't want you shacking up with your girlfriend. And I don't want to live in the same house where our nieces and nephews, your children, are shacking up with their boyfriends and girlfriends. You got a whole lot of fornicating going on. And I don't want to live in a house where there's fornication, it's fornication central. I, I don't want to live in a house like that. So if you and I can agree and we can sign a document that says that we agree that you won't do that and that we won't permit other people to come and live in the house who are doing that, then great, let's buy this house. And he may say, well, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm bringing my girl with me. I don't know why I said that in a quasi-Southern accent, but in any case, you can say, okay, well, fair enough. You know, if it won't work, it won't work. It's too bad. It would have been nice to have living in this house. Now, he may say in his own mind, well, I need my brother's money because I don't have enough money for the down payment or for the monthly payment, so I do need him. So he may say, well, can we strike a deal? What can we do? How can we make this work? And that, of course, would be up to you, what you want to do. Now... The other thing about this is if this if this is something that he won't budge on, no, I don't believe that you would be committing a sin. You know, you ask, is it still okay to pursue this? I mean, I suppose it's okay, but it would be a very difficult situation for you. I don't know that it would be sinful because you're not spending your money to facilitate fornication even though you know that the likelihood is high that they will do that. Um, so it may be where you just say the price is too high, and not the price of the house, but the price of participation. It's just a little more than I want to spend because I don't want to live in a situation like that. So you could just tell them right up front, I don't think this is going to work. And if you have a change of heart later, let me know, but eh, I'm going to take a pass on this one and see what he says. And, you know, life is too short. I find the older I get, the more I say that, because I believe it. Life is too short. And there are a lot of things that you might want to wrangle over when you're younger. Something like this, I mean, the wear and tear, the friction, you know, the, the, the second-guessing yourself and thinking, well, this is, I wish I hadn't done this. Sometimes the best thing to do is just avoid it altogether. That way you're not in that predicament. So those are my thoughts in uh, response to your email, and I, I appreciate that. I can only imagine that this is going to be a, a difficult situation for you. I hope it works out. I hope your brother says, you know what, you're right. And you can say that to him. Say, listen, what are you thinking? I mean, eventually you're going to die and be judged, and you're going to go to heaven or hell, and you were raised Catholic, so you know that this activity is immoral? Do you really want to, like, end your days in a blaze of ignomy? No, of course you don't want to. You want to go out in a blaze of glory on your way to heaven, right, brother of mine? So maybe you can preach the gospel to him a little bit and remind him that he's destined for heaven or hell, and this will not help him get to heaven. 